Here we go. Hello, Rachel. Thank you for joining us here in the Outdoor Classrooms podcast. You are the author, new author of your new book, Wild Learning Practical Ideas to Bring Teaching Outdoors. I want to welcome you to our community and would love to have you begin just telling your story and how you got here. Yeah, so I'm so excited to be here. Um, Like you said, my name is Rachel Tidd, and I just published a new book called Wild Learning, Practical Ideas to Bring Teaching Outdoors. And I'm also the author of Wild Math and Wild Reading Curriculums. And that's kind of how I got started down this road and end up writing this book more for teachers, um, helping, hoping to help them get outside to teach their um, regular core academics like math and reading outside instead of just reserving it for science or like a special uh, unit or activity. Um, I'm the mom of two boys and they are now 10 and 13. Wow. And they were really my uh, inspiration and in how I got into this whole outdoor learning thing. Uh, I guess I can call it a thing. Um, <laughs> they, when they were young, like now we're talking a long time ago, right? When they were in preschool, I chose to send them to a forest preschool here in our community. Mm. Um, And they are both really different kids, really good at different things, have different strengths, um, and they both thrived there. And um, my youngest in particular had a lot of sensory needs at the time. He was a sensory seeker, and Mm. we had him evaluated at preschool age by the school district. And, you know, they have these rating scales, you give them to the teacher. And when I approached the teachers, they were kind of confused about it. And they were kind of like, well, we don't really see any problems with him here. And it really got me thinking. I used to be a, before kids was a special education teacher. Um, And so I was really uh, interested in how this outdoor environment was meeting all of the needs of my child, you know, um, and then we were already had chosen to homeschool for other reasons, um, my oldest. And so when, unfortunately, you can't stay in preschool forever, they don't let you stay there. Um, and so I was thinking about how I was going to meet um, my youngest's sensory needs, because he was quite intense at home, which was yeah. led me to get evaluated. Um, but yet teach him uh, those core academics, learning to read, math, and there just wasn't anything out there, or there was just like a lesson or two. Um, And so I just started experimenting, and people started noticing, and my friends were like, you should write this down. Um, And so I did, and it just has taken off into this whole thing thing. and it's crazy yeah yeah that's fantastic because it's you really your work is truly something that educators can soak their teeth into because they're really looking for you know if we go outside it's it's maybe a recess or and here even with the pandemic I know your name came up with schools that I was working with like gosh but there's this whole curriculum so it's really Show it, showcasing how you can do math and uh, literacy and outdoors. Um, mm-hmm. So, what led so the you you uh, what led you to the forest preschool? To, that really was the sensory issues, 
or or it was sort of no the option. Um, so I started with my oldest, and mm-hmm. um, I am a big play based learning advocate. Despite mm-hmm. my core academic, <laughs> I am like one of these weird people. I'm like I break, you know, I have many facets, but um, for young kids, I really love play based learning. I love. Yeah. Free, like just letting them learn through play. And it's, you really have to seek those out uh, at the preschool level. So many are into these, you know, it's fine. These letters, learning mm-hmm. their letters and sitting in calendar meetings and little preschool crafts. And it's okay. Um, it just wasn't my style. And mm-hmm. I really wanted my kids outside as much as possible. We live in upstate New York. So when I say the preschool is outside, some people, I guess people listening to this podcast are probably familiar, yeah, um, yeah. but they're outside the whole time. And we get yeah. really, really snowy, cold winters here. You're in um, Ithaca, Ithaca, near Ithaca? In Ithaca, New York. Yeah. yeah. So we get 60 to 80 inches of snow a year. And there was definitely times I was taking my three-year-old and and it was, you know, five degrees Fahrenheit, 10 wow. degrees Fahrenheit, um, <laughs> you know, uh, in, but they loved it. It teaches yeah. them resiliency and they get to move their bodies and they learn, you know, to about nature on a, a more personal level and to appreciate how everything's interconnected. And it just yeah. really builds that. Uh, personal connection to the natural world that hopefully will uh, carry them through their their whole lives. Or yeah. <laughs> and so with that, so you had this special ed background and you have these lovely children. They're in <laughs> forest school. Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, attention, motivation? You talked a little bit about how being in Ithaca and finding a forest school in the first place, because they're not everywhere. Yeah, um, they're not, but they're increasingly growing. It's yay. hugely growing. There was just a study <laughs> about it. I think uh, the NAAW, the National or North American Association of Environmental Educators, yes. just did a big study on it um, and how much it has grown in the U.S. It started in Europe. But, yeah, so they're increasingly common to find. Um Luckily, I, I mean, I live in Ithaca. We kind of actually moved here partly for that reason. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, so we have actually several nature and outdoor preschools in Ithaca now. Um, this was, one, I think, the first one in Ithaca. Now, you know, it's, it was 10 years ago. Yeah. So, um, but uh, the thing about outdoor learning, and I'm sure many of you have experienced this, um, but when you go outside, the rules that were in the classroom that are in the school are often relaxed, mm-hmm. right? You immediately don't need to be as quiet. You don't need that indoor voice. Even mm-hmm. if you're a really liberal teacher or in a liberal school, the things that are allowed outside are different, right? Yeah. You can move more. You can move bigger. You can be louder. You can do movements like hanging from a tree or bouncing on a log or balancing on whatever. You can run. You can do more. Um, And that can really help kids that struggle in the containment of a classroom. Um, Get, you know, we always know, I always knew as a teacher when it was time to break for a recess. Um, And sometimes I was the only one 
um, out Reading. there when I was teaching yeah. a few years. Yeah. yeah like I, I was in first grade and, and man, by we started really early and by 10 o'clock, it was ready. We were ready to go out for a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Um, and so instead of, I mean, recess is wonderful, but I mean, you could also, if you weren't, if you needed to cover certain things, I mean, every school is different and our, mm-hmm. you know, our teachers are pressed for time and, um, but you could, you know, do your next lesson outside. And when we go outside, the studies are all showing um, increased intention, mm-hmm. increased um, motivation, decrease of ADHD uh, symptoms. Um, and there was one study, I can give it to you, uh, it's in my book, but that studied just exactly the same lesson that you were planning to teach. And they just went outside and did it. Nothing special, exact same thing. And then measured attention and motivation and engagement. So cool. And it all went up. But the best part is, is when they went back inside, it lasted until the next end of the next lesson. So it's kind of like a two for one. You make that effort to get out there. And even if you can't uh, manage to change your lesson or, you know, whatever you do the same thing, you yeah. still get benefits. So yeah. I just think that's amazing. It's, um, it's, and I, I, I feel like it's, it's not great. rocket science. I feel like right. it's, and, and even what you're showcasing in your book, it's, it's, sim- it's simple. It's, it's yeah. a matter of finding some loose parts and incorporating that. And, and really, I don't know why it's so hard. To, to really hard. get it. It's hard to have, you know, when you're a teacher, you have so much on your plate. Mm-hmm. And to add another element of yeah. um, changing lessons, you're already changing lessons to meet the needs of your students. And to add another layer, it can be really hard. And that was kind of the driving force for mm-hmm. me writing the book is I really wanted to show teachers how to teach the lessons they were already teaching. Yeah but outside. And so yes. they didn't have to think it up themselves. So mm-hmm. things like um, lattice multiplication outside or teaching um, multiples and arrays by walking through the neighborhood mm-hmm. and finding examples of them. That mm-hmm. is sort of, I taught multiplication class last year <laughs> or this fall, and it was like their favorite thing. Um, and then once you start seeing them, they just, they get so excited and you even start seeing them everywhere. Like, Ooh, there's a good example. And yeah. you're like, I'm by myself. And it's like, right, right. You get excited. Really, yeah. But then I think and, what, what um, happened to me was I, I would see the reaction of the children and it was sort of, and then I heard teachers cause I was a parent. We started an outdoor classroom at their yeah. school when they were little and teachers would come up to me like this kid would never be able to do this. Like he's connect, he's like making something that's connected to a story that he's reading and it went on and on. It was sort of this domino effect and, and it feels like it's so simple, but yet so hard. And I think your book is such a great example of articulating, like, this is how simple it is. And look, here's the guide, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. It's just shifting a little bit. Yeah, that's, I, I hope I achieved that. I tried really yeah. hard to pick things that I knew uh, most people, especially in the United States, um, were already teaching, yeah. especially in math. Um, 
And you know, math is pretty un- universal over globally. And I know mm-hmm. I wrote um, wild math curriculum. Um, I have a lot of people in other countries and we yeah. have looked at a lot of the standards and, you know, everyone learns to add and subtract and multiply and yeah. divide. Yeah. And so it's pretty easy to like find where you or your school teaches X, Y, and Z, and mm-hmm. then find it and how to, and how to maybe teach that. Now the curriculums go more in depth. They're a full year, but the book is just kind of a sampling kind of based on different locations um, that might be easy for you to incorporate. That's incredible. It's incredible. So could you tell us a little bit about the zones of accessibility? What is, what is that? What I was just alluding to. Yeah. Um, is the zones of accessibility. So typically nature learning books or outdoor type things organize their material by seasons. And Mm -hmm. that's great. um, But usually you're in school for only three of the seasons. So it doesn't always work. And um, I really looked at it uh, as the school is the center, or if you homeschool by chance, you your house. Um, And then the easiest place to get to around your school, which is typically the school yard or the the mm-hmm. area right around your school. It could also be the sidewalk right outside your school. Um, I taught in New York City, so I'm also, or oh, your, wow. rooftop, yeah. your rooftop playground. I mean, whatever outdoor area that you have, that's the first zone, like concentric mm-hmm. circles. And then the next would be the neighborhood around your school. If you live in a really rural area, this is actually pretty wild place and it might not be uh-huh. super urban. Um, and then farther afield, which is your parks or places you might need to take a school bus to, it takes a lot more planning. And that's often what we think of as outdoor learning, but there's so much more that we can do in our schoolyard and our neighborhood. Yeah. Or the walkable distance, I guess is the neighborhood, the walkable distance mm-hmm. from your school where you don't need to plan transportation. All you need is a walking field trip, um, permission slip right, to take your right, students right. out. Um, so I really tried to organize it in the, it, those are the chapters of the book, the schoolyard, the neighborhood and uh, farther. Yeah. To make it super easy, like you want to plan some out, you know, farther afield things because those are amazing immersive experiences that help kids um, learn about the world around them and give kids opportunities that might not have the opportunity to visit those th- mm-hmm. places without school. Um, and they're they're super valuable and kids always look back at them as some of their favorite things, but they take a lot of planning. Yeah. They take funding, they take approval from the district and transportation, and it's a lot. Um so that's not really doable on an everyday, every week right. basis. So you have to think about how can I take my lessons outside on an everyday or weekly basis? And that's yeah. really where the schoolyard and the neighborhood come in because um, there's just so many opportunities. Even in a parking lot, you have all those license plates, yeah. <laughs> all those brands <laughs> of cars, um, signs. Um, one of my favorite examples is uh, parking sign. And I like to talk about all the different things you could do just with this um, parking sign. And it's like, I think it's like no parking from this time to this time, you know, 3 p.m. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you can talk about like how long of time is that, you know, and it's like 
some of them, like this particular one, I have a picture of it, um, is only 15 minute parking. You know, how many cars could park here in an hour? How many park- oh, cars could park brilliant. here? And then the words themselves, right? Um, AR and parking is an um, R controlled vowel if you are teaching phonics. And then the suffix ing is mm-hmm. on parking. Um, so there's just so much you can do with just even one sign. Wow, that's um, so, yeah. Yeah. It's funny because you sort of think, oh, well, you know, nature-based education, it's all, you're kind of working with acorns and sticks and things like this, but you're really talking about just physically getting outside and, and signs are out. There's all these other components. Kind of both. It's both. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally both. I try to use, utilize, I mean, I do utilize a ton of natural materials and I even advocate uh, importing them into your school. Yet. My <laughs> arts, um, especially more urban or developed areas yeah. have no grass. They're completely yeah. paved. Um, and I really advocate like go out with your class if you can, if you can't, that's fine too. And you import them in, yeah. um, use those instead of your plastic math manipulatives and yeah. I love sidewalk chalk. And yeah. There's a whole ch- part, whole section on ways to use sidewalk chalk um, to teach all kinds of things, um, and it's cheap. Um, yeah. And just the but, just yeah. the physicalness of being outdoors is but is just just the act of going outside yeah. gives you all of those benefits that we were talking about: the attention, the engagement. It's also yeah. a sensory experience. Um, just that change of environment, right? You now have the wind on your skin, yeah. the sun or different daylight, which is very stimulating, like awakening, natural mm-hmm. light is very awakening. Um, and you have that change of rule structure that yeah. is a little bit more relaxed. Yeah. And um, so it doesn't really matter that it, it doesn't have to be super nature based if that's not what's readily available to you right. or if you're focusing on something that's hard to to adapt like yeah homonyms or something yeah. which you can I have a thing on homonyms in my <laughs> <laughs> with sidewalk chalk uh, I was trying to think of an example and yeah. uh, you know it, you can but you're still getting them out they're still getting those yeah. benefits they're still moving more. They're still getting health. There's a lot of health benefits to going outside, you know, less germs. Um, yeah. Fresh air movement. We, our kids are just don't move enough. They don't change their position enough. Um, instead of trying to figure out adaptive seating, you can, yeah. you know, having lots of just choices. Go, of yeah. and, this, and people spend a lot of energy and a lot of money on these things when you could just like, go outside for one of your lessons and that whole process of moving out there and then doing something and then coming back is like a lot of um, movement. So are you seeing a lot of teachers shifting into this way of teaching? Are are you seeing the reactions of your book? Are you getting feedback? Are people saying, oh, finally a guide? Yeah, I'm getting a lot of that. I'm getting a lot of, I am so excited. I was hoping you were going to say that. That there is a resource. This is exactly what we needed. You know, this is what we've been looking for. Um, Not this whole other fantastic, always, if you have that opportunity at your school, I'm always 
you know, like they have like a, a special environmental educator come in and do this program. That's, that's great. Uh, that's not usually uh, what happened or yeah. is available to most um, educators yeah. or it's a once in a, once yeah, a year. That's it. Yeah. Um, so I'm always, you know, that's great, but this is more of a like ongoing. And so yeah. teacher, yeah, I am getting a lot of feedback um, like that, which is great to hear. I really, um, you know, the pandemic has helped get yeah. people to try it and, and saw the benefits of it. Um, and I hope that it sticks. So, yeah, but there that's where, a ton of resources. so I'm hoping this kind of all helps to kind of. That's right. And I've been, so my kids are 21 now, my oldest, and, and we started this little outdoor classroom in her, their, her little elementary school. Uh, my son and daughter, and uh, so many, many years ago. So they thought I was like cuckoo. But with mm-hmm. the pandemic, they asked, actually asked me back and said, okay, now we're ready. <laughs> Let's right? do it. it it's, it's a silver lining. And uh, priorities, yeah. right? Mindset. Um, yeah. And, and I think there's a lot of push uh, for social emotional yeah. um, support now. And um there's a lot about how being outside and nature too um, helps boost mood and that kind of and well being and and health in that way. So yeah. I feel like um, it gets a little bit of a boost that way too. I do too. So how do you inspire? So again, we talked a little bit earlier about just everything that's on the plate of educators, and I think it's just getting harder and harder and harder. And here we've got these sort of the. Uh, we're coming in saying, okay, just take them all outside. How do you inspire just, I'm just simplistic. How do you, we talked a little bit through, uh, we've created threads throughout this whole conversation, but how would you, how would you inspire keeping it super simple um, or just simplistic? I think that's like my motto. (laughs) I, um, (laughs) no, it, it is, Jokes aside, no, it is a huge thing to think about if you have never done this before. It is not a simple feat to take your 20, 30 kids outside, especially if you're by yourself. Um, So I really advocate for small steps. Um, I like the idea of like linking on to something that's already happening. Typically, that's recess. So um, instead of going directly inside after recess, you're eliminating the transition if you stay out there a little longer and do something. When I taught um, sixth grade after recess, we often had the kids come in and do independent reading. So maybe you meet them out there and they do, you bring their books um, or you do a read aloud and you just start kind of chaining it. And then you could like out a little longer and go into math. The math was in the afternoon. Um, you know, and so you can do that. Also, you start small and you start by just just like in the beginning of the school year where we spend all that time learning the rules of our classroom and our, our procedures and we kind of it takes a while, right? We have mm-hmm. to think about going outside in the same way. It's another yeah. new classroom. Um, and so those first few times that you go out and do something, you actually just want to plan for something pretty easy or even just like a simple game or activity, just to practice going outside yeah. and oh, hold I'm up so your gear on. Yeah. And like, this is what we do. These are the, the you know, you have to stay within these bounds. Or maybe we just take a walk through the neighborhood before we even try to do anything in the neighborhood. Um 
just to kind of get that newness out, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't give math manipulatives to my students without letting them like play with them, <laughs> like explore them, right? Because if you put math manipulatives on their desks, good luck. Yeah. They just feel like <laughs> want to play with them, right? Like Unifix box. Yeah, I want to yeah, build with yeah, them and yeah. I want to pattern blocks. And if you don't let them do that first, you're never going to, first of all, they should, right? And they're still learning when they're playing with them. So it's the same idea. You want to yeah. practice it yeah. and your expectations before you go out. And then of course, um, I advocate that you don't need a special outdoor space or classroom to teach outside. Um, I actually am kind of I mean, they're great and useful to have, but um, most of your learning isn't going to happen in sitting Mm. down in a little, Mm -hmm. in front of a chalkboard. You could just do that inside. Um, More of it is in the active learning and, you know, exploring your neighborhood or working together um, in playing games in the schoolyard or doing chalk things or using, um, I do a lot with like fractions and mud pies, teaching fractions and fraction operations with mud pies. Um, And you can do that in the schoolyard. Mm -hmm. Um, Not fancy. Well, they say the mud kitchen is the most sensorial outdoor learning station that you can possibly create. I think a lot of educators are afraid of the the mud, and I always right. say, well, you don't necessarily have to put mud in it. You can put no. things in it, um, yeah, leaves and flowers yeah. and all sorts of things. But it's the and the weighing snow. and the snow, everything. Yeah, and but so I, yeah, this is even an upper elementary. You know, mm-hmm. uh, add fractions, yeah. common denominators, um, all can even. Um, you know, adding, subtracting, multiplying, you can do all of these. You always have to start with a model anyway, and understanding of how these things work and why they work. And so we would often do them in sixth grade with brownies and imagining brownies. But this is kind of like a little bit more uh, hands-on and concrete because you actually have a pan with like sand in it, usually wet sand. And you can practice cutting those brownies into fourths and then eighths and then sixteenths. And if you mess up, you can just erase it and try it again and really understand the fractions and the fraction operations before moving on. And you can do paper and pencil alongside of it. Oh, um, I'm, you know, for all this is another interview that I'm like nodding my head, <laughs> and I just got goosebumps because it's so. It's so simple. I mean, it's so simple, but it's playful and it's fun. And it's, I I can imagine the children, they're out there and they're playing and I work with little, little ones. So it's, um, but seeing the older kids and being in that space and really exploring, but, but, and it's okay if they make a mistake because it's, 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 that's part of the learning. And I think we don't teach our kids enough that I wouldn't even call it failure. It's just, oh, well, that didn't work. So let's try it again. Let's try something else. So, and I think it in in these outdoor spaces that is more freeing, as you were saying, just being out there. Kind of that that stress of producing is is kind of dissipates. Yeah, when it's not that formal pencil and paper worksheet yeah. used to, and. They're, they're a little bit more at ease and able to be like, oh, well, 
I can just make this go away and do this again. Like it's not so permanent feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That can be really freeing and helpful for a lot of kids or they want to see it this way, but they can also see it the other way and why that doesn't work in a little bit more flexible way. Yeah. Um, which is really good. It's, you which know. is, the, the, then they're going to love learning. I, then they sort of fall in love with learning as opposed to, I have to do this yeah. because I, I have to get a good grade. It's this right. other side. And I also love what you said about not necessarily, here I am, outdoor classrooms, you know, but you talked about um, just taking those baby steps. And one of the things we have here at Outdoor Classrooms is we have the five, in our boot camp, we have the five phases of teaching outdoors. So that first phase is that in- infrastructure, just even where where will you gather? Yes. You could make a whole outdoor classroom. It doesn't have to be big. And I love that you said that. And the second phase is just getting outdoors. And that's yes. a whole like how do you how do you tr- make that transition? And then the third phase is that teaching and learning. So it's all the things that you're going to do when you get out there. And then there's I weather. Like that yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. I wrote about it a little bit in my book, but I didn't call it phases. But yeah, yeah. That gather. You do need a place, and that's what I talk about uh, in the beginning. Is like you need you don't need a special fancy. You know, there's some beautiful things online. Yeah. Um, and if you're lucky enough, like to have one of you at your school and have a whole garden, that's great. Right, but not, right. not everyone has not that. Not everyone has that. Um, or, and, and I love that you're and neat and you don't necessarily, and I'm saying you don't necessarily right. need the whole thing, but let's just get outdoors. Yes. Yes. I love the stairs of, you know, I have a picture in my book of kids sitting on stairs outside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um, just the stairs of the building. And that was kind of a central place to meet um, a picnic table, a couple of picnic tables yeah. on the, on the ground under a tree, you know, it kind of varies depending on where you live, what your school's like um, the weather. Mm-hmm. Um, I would not want to sit on the ground as much in the winter <laughs> when we have snow, yeah. you would want something to sit on caught up yoga mats are really good. Mm. Um, if you have stumps, you know, but there's a lot of times where you don't need anything. And, you know, there's sometimes if it's really cold, you want to be in the sun. If it's really hot, you don't yeah. want to be in the sun. So it really yeah. depends. Yeah. Um, and I think this also applies to parents if, they, if they're thinking about, you know, absolutely. taking their children. I think all of this applies to both educators and parents and and parents just taking their kids out in their, their yards or even using the community and really thinking along those lines as well. Yeah, I have a lot of parents that use it as an alternative to the homework that's sent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know we're oh, neat. talking to a lot of teachers, but um, <laughs> you know, a lot of a lot of schools require you to give homework. I got in trouble for not giving homework, um, wow. and I well, yeah. So I taught special ed, and my kids worked really hard. And they needed something a little bit different to learn. And their parents couldn't always do it. And they were also kind of tapped out by the time they got home. And so I felt like homework was not really beneficial. There's a lot of studies that say it isn't. But schools sometimes do. So and come home with a math sheet or whatever. And you're like, I want my kid outside. And the yeah. hours they have after school, depending when your class gets out. And um they're doing addition. Well, you could flip over and do addition outside, you know, yeah. um, take a picture. Send yeah. it in. That's, uh, That's or just right so on top. we did this, we did all these problems outside with chalk. Like, you know, they can't really, 
if someone wrote that to me as a teacher, I'd be like, sweet. Um, but, <laughs> um, you know, I, they can't really come at you, especially at the elementary level. It's definitely yeah. harder. Yeah. I love what you, so what's the next steps for you? I, 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 I yeah. hear you have big plans in your, your next adventure. I, I yeah. So I am a tutorial <laughs> student at um, University of Wisconsin Stevens Point in wow. education and sustainability. So that's one of my new adventures. Um, I'm gonna keep going with my curriculum writing and wild learning as um, a, it's a business now. Um, and so I'm going to keep doing that and releasing some more units. And I hope to kind of integrate uh, the two things a little bit. So who knows? I don't yeah. know. So what's inspired, just what's inspired you to go on to get your doctorate? Um, well, a couple of things. I mean, you, I, I love to learn and yeah. I found I was like you know I would love to go back if I went back now I have an undergraduate um an environmental uh analysis and oh, wow. if I went back I would like I don't know I'd just be like so much more interested you know if you think about like when you are 18 versus now we want yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. um you just you would I just think back I'm like I would be so much more into it and I have so many more passions and um, I love to learn. And so I was like, started thinking about it. And I also really am, you know, how I like this integrating the academics with the outdoor learning and not necessarily mm. making it um, science-based. Um, I love science. I mean, I was a science major, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Uh, but there's not a lot of studies about if it really works. Like, there's a few studies done in Europe, you know, if we take our kids outside and teach them math, for example, does it really help them learn? Do, is there any, is it the same? The, is there benefits mm-hmm. beyond engagement? And, and those are all fantastic. But I mm-hmm. feel like if we wanted to um, encourage more schools and principals and administrators to uh, embrace this, mm-hmm. uh, we have to speak their language. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe that's uh, showing the benefits. And also um, sustainability is such an important um, concept and something that we really need to integrate more across our curriculum mm-hmm. um, to build, uh, you know, citizens that will be able to solve complex problems um, that are going to face them in the future. and. Um, Wow. I wanted to, since I'm a curriculum writer, you know, I feel like that's that super is but. beautiful. <laughs> it's, it's so, I can't wait to watch you go and follow this journey that you're on. Cause it's, yeah. it's, it's, you articulated it beautifully in terms of it's that it's the missing cog in the wheel that they're there with the, I feel like in the schools, they're so stuck on the way that they're teaching and that it's sort of yeah. like, become very archaic and someone's got to go and figure out their language so we can communicate it effectively so we can make this transition. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I just think it's, it's incredible. Between uh, like, 
I, it's, there's a similar thing in reading right now, right? There's yeah. the science of reading and then there's the practical in the schools and the teachers. And there was like a mismatch for many years of explaining uh, the research in into yeah. the um, education environment because they were happening in two different um, kind of places in yeah. academic, academia. And so I could see, yeah, I, I'm hoping maybe I could help do that. Um, you know, it's all kind of related. The outdoor yeah, experience yeah. gets kids outside, gets them interested in the outdoors, gets them valuing the outdoors, which helps them care and yeah. make decisions that are more uh, sustainable and That's beneficial to yeah. all living beings as opposed to just taking. So, yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. So final question, if there's anything else you want to share, absolutely share. But I, part of this podcast is also providing a platform for educators, but also to empower them to dream big, to take their kids outside, but to, to really also become advocates and do, and just go beyond the beyond. What would be your recommendation for some of that? So just for, to- dreaming big for dreaming big um, <laughs> to our educators that are listening <laughs> I know well I think I'm listening to this is already got means they're already down um the path of of doing something big um I you can dream big but I would start small and uh, people will notice love that answer uh, I like stepwise um some people are against planning um, but I really think if you just start small and building up and then you start taking your kids outside, other people will notice it. If your kids are really, your students are really excited about what you're doing and then they're talking to their parents and their parents start spreading the word like, ooh, mm-hmm. I hope I'm getting a kid for second grade because she's fantastic and she takes them outside. Um, and they did this, this, and this, and then other teachers will notice and then kind of start building and if you, yeah. And, um, it's great if you get administrators, administrators to know, like if you have parents that are really liking what you do, be like, you know, I'd love it if you told the principal, I love it if you told the administrators that you really value this, you know, Mm -hmm. um, because they don't change unless they're really pushed yeah. or they see a ton of success. Um, and it's hard to change. It's a it's a hard system to change. But I think with small steps, we can really do more. It's not the most transformative all at once. But I yeah. think small steps, if more of us advocate and start doing, you know, just one lesson a week yeah. and then expand it, um, right. you really will start seeing some Perfect. bigger Perfect. Anything, uh, where can we find you and your books? Yeah. So you can find me and everything that I'm doing at the moment at my website at discoverwildlearning.com. And I post a lot on social media, uh, on Instagram and Facebook, and that's the at symbol discover wild learning. Um, and my books available in bookstores like Barnes and Noble and Amazon. And I have a list of smaller shops that also carry it. Um, if you want to support a smaller shop on my website and there's a little tab for my book and you'll find oh, a bunch of so suggestions 
Um, and it is available in Canada and the UK and Australia now. So Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. So thank you again, Rachel, so much for joining no us. Problem. Thanks for having me. I enjoy talking to people that are also passionate about what I am. Yes. Let the ripple effect continue. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's make sure I do this right, Paul.